0: Does the story work? That's the question, isn't it?
1: Welcome to the Storygrid Show Runner Podcast. We'll be answering this question using the Story Grid method developed by Sean Coyne by analysing Hit TV series to figure out what works, what doesn't, and why. Today we're going to be diving into Ozark season three. Oh my god, what Yay. a series. Now let's get on
0: with the show. Well, Mel's still out, so we're sending out our best wishes to her. Hope she gets better soon and hopefully she'll be back next time. But okay. let's start down let's start with our first impressions. What do you got, Perul?
1: The show is getting so dark and so complex. I was absolutely riveted. What about you?
0: No, it's a really good choice. I forgot, I think it wasn't even either one of us, it was one of our partners in a different Uh,
1: my salon co-host Matt recommended it I think a client recommended it as well.
0: yeah yeah so but it turned out to be really good it was one of our best choices I think that's the only reason we did all three seasons in a row yeah
1: it's it's interesting though because I have had someone say that they had to stop watching it because it was so gruesome so I do think it I do think it's a choice I don't think everyone loves it but in terms of as we'll go into depth it, it works well for its genre
0: i I can't believe i hadn't heard of it before i really hadn't heard anything about it i would seen it advertised on like netflix but that was it but anyway i think it just keeps getting more complex like you said darker and you know there's so many potential bad guys you know i don't know if you've ever seen a thousand ways to die in the west but there's a thousand ways to die (laughs) in the ozarks apparently
1: (laughs) yeah and so if you're listening in and you're thinking well how is this going to help me analyzing tv shows because TV can be a bit dramatic, a bit overly dramatic, and Ozark has definitely has no shortage of multiple ways of death and killing and being close to life and death. What's good is when you look at all the series we've done. So if you pick out, if you like download all of our editor's six core questions or false caps, you'll be able to have a look at the inciting incidents across a whole bunch of different series and figure out some strong, strong ones, the weaker ones and hopefully be inspired for your own story. Maybe this will push you to up the tension for your own book or downplay it if you feel like this is too much. So today we're going to be looking at the editor's six core questions. They are what we believe they're an incredible way to analyze any story and figure out what works. And so here are the questions that we'll be broadly touching upon. What the full notes for them will be downloaded afterwards. So it's, what's the genre? What are the conventions and obligatory scenes for that genre? What's the point of view? What are the objects of desire? What is the controlling idea and theme? And then what are the beginning hook, the middle build, and the end payoff? So, where are we going to start, Randall?
0: So, start with the beginning hook. I'll go over like the five commandments to this beginning hook. Five commandments in uh, a sighting incident. The progressive complication turning point because usually you have you'll probably have multiple progressive complications that get worse and worse and worse till you get to the turning point, and the turning the turning point progressive complication is the event that leads to the crisis question, which is the third commandment of the protagonist or the the main person of that scene, and that person needs to decide what he wants to do, and the climax is his decision. And the resolution is basically what happens after he decides that. What does he cause to happen by his decision? So
1: that's- and we're analyzing it per act as a way of trying to understand where, how the act starts off, where it complicates and where it reaches a peak. Because we believe, as you'll see, that there are five commandments across each other.
0: Right. And then, you know, this is also familiar to people who know the story grid or have listened to us before. You know, there's five commandments of each act and then there's five commandments of each scene within the act, each chapter and things like that, too. So each one has some uh, tension and conflict in it. So we think that the inciting incident here is when the Lagunas cartel attacks the Navarro cartel's operation because there's death. There's also you know, just conflict between the bad guy who's basically running, you know, Marty and Wendy's life. And then the, the rest of these are, it's, it's curious because they aren't directly connected to life and death, which the, the importance of that is that's the global value. Cause it's, we decided that this is a thriller. So the global value of this TV series is life and death. So all of these five commandments should turn on life and death. The crisis question should be a crisis question that is decided by life or death. And some of these things, you can't see it right there, but they're all connected in the fact that the cartel is insisting that Marty and Wendy clean this money. They launder this money. And if they don't do it, the cartel is going to kill them and their family. So that's why all these things that I'm going to mention in a minute are connected to life and death. So the turning point is when Wendy tells the head of the Navarro cartel that she wants to expand the business and using another casino, the big, the big muddy casino. And this frustrates Marty because Marty really kind of wants to get out. And by getting deeper in with the cartel, he feels he's endangering the family even more. So the crisis question is: Does Marty support Wendy's attempt to take over these, this casino and work more closely with the cartel, or not? And the reason this is dangerous is if Marty and Wendy aren't in agreement, they split the team up, and that just makes it whole, the whole thing more dangerous for everyone. They're not, they're not in, in cahoots with each other. They're they're hiding things from each other, and if he does support them, then they get deeper in with the cartel, which is also dangerous for the for the yeah. Uh, and
1: they're watched, they're watched very heavily by Helen. Helen knows if they're not going on, and that puts them in danger.
0: Right, and that's a big thing, right? That's a big thing that, you know, we always talk, we wanted to compare Killing Eve with with Ozark, and Helen represents the cartel, and she's always in the background, and she's watching them and influencing stuff that's going on around them. So the climax question is, Marty's like, hell no, I'm not going to support Wendy because we don't want to be part of the cartel. We want to get away from the cartel and the resolution is he kind of tries to foil the whole thing about buying it by getting the the mob frank senior to set fire to the comp- competitors so that they don't sell the cartel and and things like that so that's kind of the beginning hook is basically do they get in the bed farther with the cartel or do they do are, are marty and wendy just at odds now yeah
1: no that's really good that's really good no analysis and I'm thinking of Killing Eve and where we were in season three in the middle build and how what was a thriller as is this thriller ended up descending into a love story and worldview so the inner world started to become more important we had Villanelle go off and try and discover her mother she discovered that (laughs) she remembered that she had a mother and it went all a bit off the rails whereas here it's just keeps building. It doesn't build too much. I mean, some, I've heard some people say it does and they don't want to watch it, but the people who, who love it seem to love it because you cannot stop the tension. So in the middle build, the cartel kidnaps Marty and tortures him to see if they can launder without him. And that's in episode three and into and, and four. What's, what's making this situation worse is that the FBI are on their backs. They're auditing them. Ruth and Frank Jr. are at odds. Frank Jr. attacks Ruth. Gosh, it's just so much. Darlene is back. Remember, she murdered her husband. Uh, She's back. She's hooking up with Wyatt, which is (laughs) quite disturbing. And (laughs) she's building allies. She's trying to, she's creating a force of antagonism against birds. Ben Lovely Ben, who is you know, who's been dating Ruth, is off his meds, and he confronts Helen. But the progressive, so the turning point, progressive complications, the complication that turns the scene into a crisis, is when Navarro and his more his men geld the stud horse, and Wendy and Marty Bird. Remember, they've prided themselves. They're so proud of themselves at this point. Wendy particularly is so proud that she is capable of being outside of Marty's shadow and that she can negotiate with the cartel because she believes that she knows what he needs, which is a legitimate business for his legacy, for his children. And so she goes and buys the big muddy. And then he says, oh, well, could you also go ahead and buy the stud or the stud farm? They do that. And their reputation is slashed when they find out that the prize horse no longer can Create any more price losses. Wendy is furious, furious. And the question, the crisis is: Does she confront Navarro for interfering with her attempt to create legitimate businesses? Remember that if she doesn't, if this, if if her reputation is ruined, there is a chance that she will get. She's more likely to be picked up by the FBI, which will put her in life and death. Because if for any reason she got compromised by the FBI, got found out, they'd be killed in jail. Like, there's no question. So her, her crisis question is, does she confront him or does she stay safe? If, if she could be safe, not really. And keep quiet. Randall, you're the point.
0: What's more dangerous than yelling at a cartel leader who <laughs> thinks he's God, you know, yeah, like, Hey, what the hell you think you're doing? It's like, you're dead.
1: <laughs> it's not, like, but it's like being on a tightrope, right? Because if she screws up, if she doesn't manage to create legitimate businesses, which is, which rests solely on her reputation, He will also kill her so really she's playing she's playing really terrible game with him so the stakes are huge she takes her job seriously but more importantly she thinks she has a plan to keep them safe the family safe and and make money the climax is that wendy takes helen's phone and confronts navarro and the resolution is that he he puts her in in her place he shoots her down he reminds her his power and position and wendy suddenly realizes that this was a terrible terrible gamble that she took and and regrets this action that she had taken to try and build this relationship with navarro
0: yeah no it it, i I just there's so many progressive complications that are just all life and death it's just a great it's a great series it's this is a great season so any payoff Pretty much episode seven to episode 10 starts off with Helen, killing, Ke- Ke- excuse me, Helen Keller. No, Helen killing Sue. Sue is the psychiatrist supposedly that is doing marriage counseling with Wendy and Marty that they've both paid off to, to be in their favor. And, and then of course, Marty finds the body and realizes that they're in trouble and there's more progressive complication Ben you know, gets out of the psych ward and confronts Helen, which just pisses Helen off. And once Helen gets pissed off, she kind of is taking control. She's asking for permission from Naravaro to take everything over. Helen has got a signed confession, a fake signed confession to the FBI that's supposedly signed by Marty. And there's all these things that are progressing to the end of the series. And the turning point is Maya, who's the FBI agent that's been working with Marty, she calls him and is like, what are you, what are you doing signing the deal for that? You didn't like my deal? And he's like, what are you talking about? I was like, yeah, Helen went over there. You have a signed confession. He's like, what? So she's like, don't get on that plane. But he's about to get on the plane. So if he doesn't get on the plane, he'll probably get shot. And if he does get on the plane, he's confident. Marty's confident. Marty's a good talker. So far, he's talked his way out of a bunch of different problems. Even when he was tortured, he got he talked his way out of it. So – and he's, got, he's also got some, he's got some backup plans, it looks like. There's some things that he has to take care of every so often. He's already showed this once to Navarro that if he's not around, then stuff falls through the cracks. And he's got to do the special code or something like that. So he decides to get on the plane. The crisis question is, does he get on the plane or not? Knowing that Helen's about to set him up, and he does. He gets on the plane. He's like he—he uh, he probably thinks about it. He's like, I'm gonna have to talk my way out of it. I'm gonna have to beat her to the punch when I hit the ground. And they hit the ground. They meet Navarro at the at the, at the uh, airport, and Alan gets shot in the head. And he's like, hey, <laughs> let's do some business. And it's uh, the first
1: time you see the birds totally shell shocked. Yeah, that image of blood splattered all over them as they hug. Navarro I mean what a bizarre thing you shoot the person right in front of you and give them a big hug and say right it's time to restart
0: so this is the second time they've ended a series with someone getting shot in the head though yeah and Marty and Marty covered in blood
1: (laughs) yeah yeah what's it so what's interesting about the crisis point and the or the turning point in crisis is that Maya was the one who saved Marty's ass when he was last with Navarro, because she froze an account that only he could fix, which proved that he was necessary. Had she not done that, there's a chance he would have been killed. Gotcha. So her her actually telling him that is very important. The other question is, and this, we get this a lot, right? You, you're re, you're watching a whole series, and you think, well, how do you know where to where these fall? Like, how do you decide where the crisis point falls, where the turning point, progress complication? So the answer is, it is possible that anyone, everyone will get this wrong. We will get this wrong. It's, it's a subjective matter, but what you're trying to look for, I think we've got this about, about right. It's possible that we've, you know, 10 degrees here or there. We might have, you know, the exact scene, I'm not sure, but we've, we're probably in the right ballpark. But the way you decide is you try and think of that. For me, I think of the emotional point, like, what is it, what is it that I watched, for example, in the end payoff, so the last third that, that was a point where you feared for them. You normally experience the crisis with the characters. And I that moment when Marty gets the call and he's about to get on a plane with a bunch of vipers, basically, that you feel it, you think, are you stupid? You're getting on a plane with Helen who clearly wants to take over your job. You're obviously going there to be executed. That's what it feels like. And so that's how, in a slightly long-winded way of saying, that's how we decide Okay, that seems like it's probably going to be a crisis point because that's when we as the viewer are at a crisis point. Are we egging them on? Are we, what are we doing? How are we feeling? Um, so we've done the beginning, middle, end. Next, we look at – we're going a bit backwards for some reason. I'm not sure why. But what's the genre? Thriller. Yes.
0: There's just death and there's death everywhere.
1: And what's, what's the subgenre or what's the secondary genre? Huh. I
0: don't know. I haven't really thought about that, actually. I think we thought about it in the first one, but I can't. Morality?
1: Guess. Maybe. Think about Wendy. She has to decide. We're the talking typical. about the
0: internal, right? So. Yes. Yeah.
1: I mean, if there's a secondary one, it it's not love. Love was in season two, and marriage is not as much of an issue. It's I mean, it is there. They have the, the counselor. But actually, their attention is no longer on, are we even going to be together? So in season one, he had just caught having an affair and there was a huge of emphasis on does he even love her will they have sex is she attracted to the other guy whose name i forget and in season two they it becomes quite romantic they because both in season one and season two marty almost leaves in, in season one he almost kills himself in season two he tells them to go away and they won't and in season three it's different their their power dynamic has changed wendy is trying to take control
0: but Wendy, at the end, pretty much near near the ending payoff, she admits, she's like, hey, I shouldn't have. Yeah. Yeah, she kind of admits that he was right.
1: I agree. But in terms of the love genre and those obligatory scenes, yeah, it's not, there's no, there are no scenes of romance. There's no yeah. sort of a big reconciliation. Whereas in season two, there are some, there are some like there's eye contact that's quite romantic. Yeah, yeah. Like the couple finds themselves. So yeah, I'd say externally we have a thriller and then internally morality is is really wonderfully screwed up in this. Yeah. Okay, so what are the obligatory scenes of the global genre? So um, so,
0: so I think uh, so I just to be clear, you know, in a in a, in a story in a book in in a movie these these obligatory scenes and these conventions could be a lot clearer and it, and it would be but because this is a series and it's being drawn out over three seasons some of these bleed over because we're talking about the inciting crime indicative of master villain. And in this case, I would call that the waterboarding of Helen because you you got the, the cartel showing its power, even someone they trust they're waterboarding, how this is how bad they are. But we've seen them from season one, season two, just how willing they are to kill people. So we have this inciting incident from the very beginning, the speech of praise of the villain. We almost don't even need it because we've seen how bad they are they they waterboard they kill people for no reason they threaten marty all the time the hero becomes a victim i mean marty's been the victim since the beginning he's always been at the beck and pa- beck and call of the cartel because if he steps the wrong way he's he's dead that they always say that hey do what we say or you're dead and uh hero at the mercy of the villain this is really captured Actually, this is kind of the scene that's captured in each one of it to make us feel the tension as the viewers. And it's done really well here when he has to get on that dang plane and he gets off the plane and faces Navarro. I mean, what a better, what you couldn't think of a better hero at the mercy of the villain. The villain's right there, and you could have, everyone thought something bad was really going to happen. I, I wouldn't, that false ending is a little bit misnamed here because Helen gets killed. That's more of the surprise. I think the false ending will see it, the false ending is he's he's treats them treating them like friends. I think that's actually more the false ending. I think the death of Helen is just just a kind of is is just a surprise ending of the whole thing
1: yeah, I agree with you. I agree with you. I think that the false friends feels uh, it's so tense,
0: yeah, and then for conventions, I mean we got the 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 MacGuffin, the cartel just wants safe, clean money. They want they want this legitimate money that they're kind of trying trying to get towards. We're going to talk about the red herrings later on, and then making it personal. I mean, it's pers- every every season, almost every episode is personal because it's all about keeping his family safe. And then the clock. Well, there's not like I mean the there's a couple miniature clocks in this one, but there, but it always comes to like. We got to do this before we got it. You know, there's always these, these little miniature clocks all the way through the movie, all the way up to now <clears throat> getting on the plane. You know, we, we, do I get on the plane? I got five seconds to make a decision. I mean, but there's not this big clock. It's always got lawn to the money, launder to the money, launder to the money. That's the clock. Launder to the money is you got a time limit. You don't know what the time limit is. So you got to do it as fast as you can.
1: Yeah, I agree, I agree with you. I, the clock is so effective. Now, let's look at morality. Just really briefly, we'll go into a bit, a bit more detail in the, in the downloadable sheets. So we're going to have a quick look at morality as the internal genre. We're going to look at a few things, the key parts of the morality genre. So I want to look at the all is lost moment. And that is when the protagonist either discovers their inner moral code or chooses the immoral path. So in the last season, we saw Marty facing a whole bunch of all this lost moments. But the key one is, was when he had a choice of how to deal with Mason, who was threatening him. And in the end, he killed Mason. In this season, it's Wendy. She faces an all Wallace's lost moment. It's even worse. It's her brother. Does she allow Ben to be killed by Helen? And she... Is in bits after this. She's drinking in her car because, of course, she just had a brother killed for the sake of well, for the sake of her family because she she knew that Helen and Navarro were on their case. So let's look at let's look at the the showdown. The showdown is the protagonist actively sacrifices self in service of an individual or a group or humanity. They can't or they consciously choose to remain selfish. What is interesting about this season? is yes, Wendy sacrifices her brother for the family, but it's not for herself. I don't know. I think if it had been just for her, she might have allowed her brother to live. But what she's fearful of is her family is at huge risk from Helen and the Navarro family. So it's, you, you can interpret it how you want, but you can't help as a viewer, but judge her a little bit. She's killed her own brother. What has she got left? What else do we have? We've got the protagonist faces literal or metaphorical death and either loses the battle but gains self-respect, meaning <laughs> and peace, or wins the battle but loses, loses, um, loses things and and, has to ha- and gives a great sacrifice. So it's a paradoxical ending. So Wendy wins, wins a battle, I guess you could say, to stay in Navarro's favor, although later he's like, well, of course, you should have sacrificed your brother. He doesn't seem as grateful as you'd think but she has now lost her one chance of finding peace. You can imagine that in subsequent series she will just be broken. right, next we're looking at red herrings because that's, so we're going to do a bit of a spotlight, a bit bit of a focus on red herrings because they are really important in thrillers and they're very important in this series. So the definition of a red herring is something that distracts the audience with false or misleading clues, so it brings the viewer to the wrong conclusion so as the reader we're in constant suspense how is marty going to die who's going to betray him is it going to be ruth will it be wendy remember she dreams of killing him will it will it be the fbi that take down the birds or will they die in the crossfire of the Laguna navarro cartel war so some of the red herrings i'll just read them out loud and then randall's going to do a bit of an analysis of this we've got marty is followed by the lagunas cartel Wendy dreams of killing Marty. Helen asks Ruth if she could run the operation without Marty and Wendy. Helen forges a signed confession for Marty to submit to the FBI. Darlene talks about taking down the birds and turns Wyatt against them. Some of the subplots, uh, we've got Sue, who's taking the therapist who's taking advantage of both Wendy and Marty. It runs through until she dies. We've got the whole love affair between Beth and Ruth. He's the one person who finally puts a smile on Ruth's face, but unfortunately he's determined to see justice and exposable lies, which ultimately leads to his death. And then we've got uh, the Frank Jr. family who continue to threaten the Bird family. And he has a bit of a face off with, with Ruth.
0: Yeah, no, no. Good summary, Parole. I, I think, I mean, this is what makes a good thriller for me, right? These, these, these questions you don't know when you have all these other little subplots going through and you you nailed it when you said who's going to kill marty i mean you got so many people involved in this in this plot and you don't you assume it's going to be the cartel but it could be any one of them i mean all of them there's 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 a couple psychos in there that could do it. Wendy could be the 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 if just to save her kids, she could kill them. Because Ben died, that if I was the final straw for Ruth and and and, and Darlene helped her come to that decision, but she kind of quit and kind of joined Darlene's gang. So all of these things just make a really good, well-rounded plot that the viewers kind of going, oh that what oh what's going on over there? And of course Darlene's just bat you know, shit crazy and, you know, just totally screwed up the, the cartel deal from the beginning. Right. And so you don't even know what she's going to do. You have no idea. I mean, she, she, she shot Frank Jr.'s, uh, you know, penis off, you know, to, to get, to get back for Ruth. And she's just, you have no idea what she's going to do. She's kind of the loose cannon of this whole thing. And then of course, Frank Jr.'s a loose cannon too. You know Ben was a loose cannon. Unfortunately, he's dead now. But there's and then the FBI. You know has some weird people too. There's FBI agents that have it out for Marty just because he, he they think he's associated with the other FBI guy getting killed. So there's there's still so much in in season four that's that 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 every turn Marty makes is dead. And this just makes such a great thriller. If you had a thriller that was just streamlined and went hey, the cartel's the bad guy, launder money, launder money, oh, launder money in a different way, oh, the cartel threatened you again. This would be not a great series. It might be an okay series. It it might be an okay movie. You couldn't make a movie with all these little tangents and subplots. There wouldn't be enough time. But that's what makes great series or makes a great series of books, if you're a writer, is to put all these little subplots, like Game of Thrones has all these subplots that you could never put in a one movie that's why they had to make it you know six seven seasons because they had all these subplots and you really don't know what's going to happen at the end and this is just really masterfully done and it's something that's missing in killing eve unfortunately that just stopped making it a great series for me
1: yep absolutely so why do we love this series
0: uh it's just Constantly surprising. They're always bringing in new things like Ben was the new one in this series. And of course, Helen was a more, uh, a bigger, a bigger piece in this series as well. And, and it's just always surprising. You can't predict what's going to happen next. And then I never, you know, I guess we should have suspected that Darlene was going to make a comeback after season two. But she's coming back strong. I mean, she's got... I did not expect that. She's got a gang. I didn't expect it either. But now she's got a gang and she's like number one bad guy almost next to the cartel.
1: Yeah, I didn't expect she'd go for a toy boy as well. (laughs) It's interesting. So it makes her more grotesque in a way. and frightening (laughs) Because she's willing to talk about killing her husband in front of this, what, 16-year-old boy? Yeah. And then, I don't know, it's all... She's just wonderfully... Awful, wonderfully venomous. Yeah, I, I definitely think this is one, and we've talked about this, I'm sort of repeating myself, but you just can't rest in a wonderful, wonderful way. You, you're you on your, you're just glued to the screen. The stakes and proximity to life and death, bear in mind that the core value in thrillers life to death, is constantly at a high. And like I've said before, some people find it too gory, too gruesome, and I think that's, that's fair enough. I can see that. So it isn't for everyone, but if you like your thrillers hot, it's brilliant. And I think if you're writing a thriller or an action story and you want a point of excellence, a masterwork that doesn't rest, that has a whole series of progressive complications, I just think there's so many ideas that could inspire you.
0: Yeah, it's very very similar to Breaking Bad in this case. I mean, they both deal with drugs, but they both deal with different things. Like Breaking Bad is actually the... The making of the drugs, but there's but every single there's all different kinds of bad guys coming at the hero who turns less more or less into the villain, but there's all different directions that where people think he's got the DEA on him, he's got the, this cartel, he's got that cartel, he's got all kinds of bad guys on him, and this is very similar, and that's that's kind of why drug subplots kind of you always have bad guys that that want to get access to this stuff. But anyway, yeah, great, great analysis and everything Pearl. Really, thanks for all I wrote. Thanks for being here with me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's fun. It's really, it's interesting that we have to go through. I was just thinking how many series we've watched, but it has been great just even editing. If you're an editor or a writer uh, doing this yourself or coming, joining us for this ride, hopefully well, you'll see that it just helps you analyze quicker. and It just means you can apply this to your own work and to other people's work. Right, so what's our next series, Randall?
0: So first of all, Reed. first of all, yeah, we've chosen our next one by default. But if you are interested in uh, analyzing a series, please write us and we'll, we'll take a look at it. But we've decided to go back to the oldie but a goodie Game of Thrones season one because yes. everyone loved it. And that's what sparked the whole thing to go forward. And I'm really excited to watch it again. And, and so we're going to go back to Game of Thrones season one. Jon Snow, bring it on. John Snow but I just watched like the first one and they're so young in the first one yeah. the little babies and the but and the little wolves are so cute. Um, <laughs> all right. That wraps up our podcast for today. We hope you have a better understanding of the story grid methodology. Please leave us a rating and review and tell your author and editor friends about us so we can help others with their writing. For more information, videos and articles on the story grid, go to storygrid.com. And you can also find us on our webpage, sgshowrunners.com. And if you want to connect to one of our editors directly, even Mel, who's sick, uh, links to our webpages are in the show notes. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next time.